Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine coming at you from Freiburg, Switzerland. That's uh, F-R-I-B-O-U-G-B-O-U-R-G. Yep, translated from French, it means the place where I am presently. Um, So it's helpful whenever you identify yourself as from this city because it's always true. Um, And I'm joined here by Father Bonaventure Chapman. Father Bonaventure, how are things? They are great. Um, I was just thinking, as you mentioned, Freiburg, that's the city of of free citizens or something, right? I, I think so. Um, Freiburg. So you're a, you're a free citizen, and uh, I'm from I'm in Washington D.C., which is uh, the city of slavery, um, at least political <laughs> slavery, because nothing we do we have no representation here, um, which is fine to be honest. I mean that's not a bother to me. But yeah, sense of you actually having say in anything, and uh, no, we're so unfree that even cameras have more freedom to take money from us. Not only can people take money, but cameras can take money from us as we drive in this city. That's but, true. dear listeners, that might be true for you as well in your cities. Yeah. That's a shame. It's a real shame. And, but it's named after Wa- – it is Washington's town, so it's named after George Washington, so that's, that's nice. Um, better than a, like an abstract principle like freedom, I suppose. It's nice to have right. a picture of a six-foot-two man with a giant hat, you know, <laughs> astride a boat in wintry conditions that, you know, may or may not have happened. Um, random thoughts based off things that you just said. Uh, I grew up in Newtown, Pennsylvania, which is just next to Washington's Crossing, Pennsylvania, uh, which is the place from which the aforementioned six foot two patriarch departed when he crossed the Delaware River to attack Hessians. But getting back to the serious matters of cameras that take pictures of your car and send you bills for $100 in the mail. Yeah. Um, I thought that things couldn't be worse than Washington, D.C. when I moved to, to Switzerland, so I just drive here with reckless abandon. But actually, between the cities of Lausanne, and Geneva, which are to the south of me, I guess, um, on, on different parts of Lac Le Mans. There is a stretch of road, it's like 40 minutes long, where there are 54 cameras. And in the United States, typically, you don't get your picture taken and a bill sent to you unless you're going in excess of like 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. For those yeah, of you who hard. are doing conversions between miles and kilometers, that's 16 kilometers per hour. In Switzerland, those cameras start taking pictures of you at 5 kilometers per hour over the speed limit. And with a gauntlet of 54, it's, it's terrible. It's honestly that's one like of the worst three things miles, in the world. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's like mm-hmm. three miles per hour, right? I mean, that's, three. that's like a foot pedal. I mean, you know, you've got to shoot tight in that thing. So basically, yeah, a bunch of Nancy drivers around there, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so limit here means limit. It means limit in the strictest of strict senses. Uh, because if you go the aforementioned five kilometers per hour, you get a bill for like 120 Swiss francs, which is monopoly money. It. So, you know, whatever, it happens. Um, but not good, not bueno. So I just take the train now. I have been, uh, I have been rudely awakened to the fact that train is a better mode of conveyance in Europe, if not for efficacy, at the very least for economic interest. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? So in this episode, we're going to talk about speed limits. No, actually we did an episode about that, whether speeding is a sin. So yeah, given the fact that we can no longer explore that option, or at least shouldn't explore that option, so as not to abuse the listening uh, goodwill of our listeners, uh, we're going to talk about the church and the polis. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about well, like politicizing all of life, because um, yeah, in this world, in this day and age, we think ourselves, you know, Catholics, and we think ourselves 
uh, relatively free thinkers, not in the sense that, you know, do whatever you want and things are awesome, liberty, fist pump, but in the sense that, you know, we esteem ourselves indebted to, to Catholic principles when we engage in conversations or when we engage in arguments. But I think that we have to confront the reality that sometimes we, we may be indebted to Catholic principles, but we're probably indebted to the principles of our culture, the principles of our political climate. Uh, and, and to a certain extent, we're just the product of that political atmosphere. So, Father Bonaventure, maybe just to get us started, um, to what extent, you know, in, in our lives, are we, just, uh, are we just wholly, thoroughly political animals? And to what extent are we engaging in conversations that are, what, you know, more so a matter of being libertarian than being Catholic, or more so a matter of, you know, being on this side of the divide, whether Republican or Democrat, than we are being Catholic. Set the stage. You can literally say whatever you want. The floor is yours. Yeah. It sounds like a disjunct there, but they sound like the same thing in both of them. Um, <laughs> are we wholly committed to public to, to political climate of opinion and such? Um, I, I, you know, you, you cited a, well, without knowing it perhaps, a be- wonderful 1932 book called uh, The Heavenly City of the Philosophers. I think it's called by Carl Becker, an American historian who um, wrote also a great uh, piece called Every Historian... Every man is his own historian. So I encourage all of you to read that. Um, and he talks about the climate of opinions and of between modernity and medieval time and how we, you live in that and s- swim and breathe and this sort of thing. And the climate of opinion in ours is political, not only just the fact that we're Americans, which means we're political people, I think. And we take pride in that, right? I mean, I, this would be interesting to think about, do you know, Europeans think, talk in the same way? I know in England, we did, they didn't talk as much political as we did, but we... We get a sense as Americans that like politics is what we do. It's our bag. But then also today, everything's politicized because there's so much more information about stuff. And that certainly, that certainly colors my vision of things. And I suspect even the best of us, we just, we, we, because language is a culturally mediated process that we hear and learn to speak from that, not just as children, but still we get our own words. You notice when you're around a friend, you might to true, true friendship means realizing that you're using the same words as your friend does. Um, mm. And we do that, I think, in, in, in the culture. So it's inevitable that as we're bombarded with words uh, from the media, from all of this stuff, logocentrism, that we are then influenced linguistically and, and conceptually by that, which means that it just bleeds into everything, including mm. the church stuff. And I was thinking about this. The church and state relationship has this kind of on and off, you know, they get, they're like dancing partners, they separate and they come back together. So like, you know, initially we could say, and they started the church, the church and state were kind of like antagonizing to each other. And then they kind of separated and became identified with, and then they, the church became the state in a sense. So the church kind of took over and bishops were in charge. And then it kind of separated again. This is a potted history of everything. Um, And then now they're kind of like, they're back, surprisingly enough. Except through like the the you know basement door that politics has now taken over again, but in a sense of like a an insidious kind of way, such that church and state are again related. Not that church dominates the throne, dominates the altar, dominates the throne, but like the social media throne dominates the altar, and we just get caught up in this. So that's yeah. that's just some stage setting, I think. That is that's some excellent stage setting. I think in that description, you use something like six or seven metaphors, similes, and images. I often, when I start speaking, I have a thought in my mind, and then I just speak in vague terms to describe that. But you're, you're a master of images, especially in your preaching. You have some wild images that you trot out, which when you first encounter them, you're like, 
what in the world is going on with this image? And then you're like, wow, that is super illustrative, very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, you know, for the last retreat that we had this past summer, when you used the image of like wave, what did you use? It was like, you used it was quantum Newtonian mechanics versus quantum mechanics, wave mechanics for, yeah, modern and, uh, and ancient morality, virtue structure. That's incredible. I, I, I return to that often in my, in my Lexio Divino of life. All right. So at this point, if you're like, what, what, what exactly is this episode about? Well, you're in good company mm. because Father Bonaventure and I are, are wondering the same thing, even though we have a short outline in front of us. But here's, here's our worry, or here's my worry, which I've somehow made Father Bonaventure to share, at least for the purposes of this 30-minute conversation. I think that when we engage in debates or when we engage in conversations about issues which are near and dear to our heart, all right, we, we approach it as if it were a matter of Catholic principles, and then we find ourselves falling into somewhat political tropes. Is that bad? No, not necessarily, but I think it's something to be conscious of. So here's, a, here's an illustration. I will use at least one image in this conversation, and I'm going to use it right now. So let's say that you're engaged in some work of political or social justice uh, in the context of the American culture war, like uh, abortion or same-sex marriage, for those who would identify more like conservatively, or um, the environment or aid to the material poor for those who identify more you know, progressively on the political spectrum. And then you know, we're striving for those goals in the context of a political war. So maybe you're doing some advocacy, maybe you're outside of an abortion clinic praying every, every Saturday or during 40 Days for Life, or maybe you're petitioning your congressmen uh, you know, to advance these different political projects. And you come to discover in the course of the conversation that your religious arguments begin to take on certain aspects of political arguments. Um, like they're, they're becoming the polarized political arguments that you would see, for instance, on social media or that you would see on Fox News or on CNN. And the worry arises, okay, to what extent am I arguing like a Catholic or to what extent Am I just arguing like an angry American who consumes an incredible amount of media or, or an incredible amount of news and then just rehearses these potted arguments uh, with increasing retrenchment? So, Father Bonaventure, like, mm -hmm. what, what do you think? I mean, as American Catholics or as Americans who are Catholic or as Catholics yeah. who are American, uh, to what extent can we be critically conscious of this? To what extent are we free of this? Or, or is it just something that's going to happen? We just have to be reconciled to it. It's just the way that things are. Well, I mean, I think it's it's going to happen, um, but I think it's it is important to to be attentive to it. And the first, I think, just is the realization that we are not a that the church is not a polis in the political sense, like it's just not. And so our conversations, our communications within that, if they have a tribal or political party aspect to them, we should immediately be suspect. It's like a, I don't know, when you think of like the Hunt for Red October or something, when you go into into like you know, dangerous territory, like the red light comes in the background uh, uh, underwater. And so everyone knows they're in battle stations. Um, and I think like whenever you use a political label in terms of a church position, a red light should go on. It doesn't mean it's nuclear war. You know, it doesn't mean like we're going to have to give up the sub and then, you know, I don't want to give away the ending. Um, but, but it should be at least be attentive and say, now, hold on a second. Is this the right thing? And as you mentioned, like abortion versus the environment, climate control. We we have like positions. We get political our backs up about this. And part of the deal as Americans is just kind of yelling at our opinions at each other, and it's okay. But in the church, um, we can use the same kind of imagine like liturgical parties, you know, progressives and conservatives, the same language. And then we talk about like strategy, you know, how we're going to 
defeat the opponent, how we're going to win our side, how we're going to gain our objectives. I mean, no one says this explicitly, or not many people I do. But I think we, because we're used to thinking in opposition terms and party terms in political ways, then immediately when we think, oh, I don't like this thing happening in mass, or I don't like that person or what they're doing, or I don't like this kind of, this progressivism or this conservatism, then we immediately shoehorn in the political concepts for that. And then we start thinking about the, this person as someone who needs to be defeated at the polls or defeated at the pews, that kind of stuff. We're not defeating anybody at the pews, you know? So I think it's, it's just, it's really important to first step back and say, what are the, you know, yeah, what are the differences between the, the church and the political realm and therefore the people that make up those two communities? Because the ecclesia and the polis are just, they're different entities. They're different natural kinds, you could say. So maybe we can say a word about what makes our argumentation, what makes our discourse distinct mm -hmm. as Catholics, and then we can get into, in the latter half of the episode, some practicals for transcending certain limitations, or at the very least, being conscious of those limitations, accepting those limitations, working within those limitations in a way that doesn't hamstring the discourse. So, as Catholics, what are our principles? I think here of the analogy of faith. I think here of the, what St. Thomas writes in the Treatise on Faith in the Summa Theologiae. The most important things for us, you know, fill in the blank. If you were to ask American Catholics, you would hear a variety of responses. But I think as Catholics, we would say the Trinity and the Incarnation. And, you know, you get your, you get your eye roll from many people like, of course. But I don't know. I don't know to what extent that is an of course type of response. Because sometimes we focus on certain aspects of the faith or we make, I don't know if I want to say a mountain out of a molehill, but I just said molehill. Well, there you go, Father Joseph Anthony Cress. That's a that's an homage Mo, to you and Saint Clair's Mo pronunciation. <laughs> Moten Idos. Mow it down. So yeah. So so the biggest things for us are the fact that God is a communion of persons, and the fact that the second person, the Most Blessed Trinity, took human flesh. When it comes to applying those principles, obviously the the type of work that it takes to take two doctrines of the faith and then see them play out when it comes to whether or not you get your hair cut today or tomorrow, or whether you brush your teeth with crest or with arm and hammer, that's going to take some, it's going to take some translation. Truth be told, most of that stuff doesn't matter too terribly much. So I think having a sense of the whole, having a sense of what is most principled, finding common ground in our arguments is going to be important. You know, in your experience of these types of things, do you have any hope that we can establish common grounds in liturgy wars or in whatever, um, social justice wars or in, what would one say, like life, family issue wars? Do you think that mm -hmm. it's actually possible for us to establish common ground to work off a common base? I think it's, it's, it's harder, but we have to, I think we need to remind ourselves, this is where the intellect kind of comes over the will on this one is remind ourselves that we already do have a common base. I mean, if we believe in baptism, we believe that the sacraments are real. I suppose that's another kind of, we, you know, that's applied Christology, you could say, the kind of outworking of, of the incarnation, that we already, we already are connected to, them, to the other people. And, we, we have to, and that's an act of faith, of course. You can't see that, um, really. It's, it's a matter of knowing that actually this person, if this person is, is a, a faithful Catholic, uh, they are already connected to me by the grace of baptism and by the other sacramental graces, so that I already have, in a sense, I don't know, think about it like a um, a grappling hook has already been attached, such that I can pull these two kind of buildings, these things together, um, because it's already linked in. I don't need to convince them of becoming a member of my party, 
We're already a member of, of, of the same party. And to have faith and bank on that, that we, we can appeal to that with each other, not as rhetorical positions, but as substantial positions about our, our unity of, of heart and mind, that we would want to, or at least we kind of think about, ignore, I think we ignore sometimes because we treat the other person again as a member of a rival political party. But they're just intellectually, you know, they're not. They're not a member of that. And not just as like our attitude, but matter of ontology. They're, they're working with the grace of God. That's the claim, at least. Yeah. All right. So those are some principles. We have them on the table, and now we're going to do applaud discourse in the latter half of the episode. So we'll go to a break, stick with us, and on the other end, we'll do some, we'll do some practicals. So here we go. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right, we're back. And uh, in this episode here of God's Planning, we're talking about politicizing all of life and to what extent it's inevitable and to what extent it's something that we can transcend, something that we can um, soften or ameliorate. Soulager is the French word that I'm thinking of, which I don't exactly know how you would translate that, but whatever, who cares? Doesn't matter. Um, I occasionally think in French, but usually in bad French. So there you go. It's working, kind of. Um, so one thing that we have kind of acknowledged in the, in the first half of the episode is the kind of tribal mentality, which invades all of our discourse and makes us experience the conversation as if it were a competition or as if it were a battle to the death. But uh, I think that this tribal mentality is something that we can address, even if only in small ways. So here's an example of tribalism, at, maybe not at its worst, but in a bad way. And I think that'll help us maybe to, to start off this conversation mm -hmm. here in the latter half of the episode. One thing that I think that we do sometimes is that we're not so much concerned with finding the truth of the matter as we are with finding where our camp is or who is to be identified as a member of our camp. And then we double down and we defend it. So. For instance, those who would identify as you know, conservatives in the American political dispensation in the American church find that those of their ilk typically hold for, one, you know, the pro-life movement, which is awesome, um, and one of the most fundamental things that's on the table in Catholic American political discourse, because there is no genocide of abortion-like proportions, just to think that you know, we as Americans have what, I don't know exactly what the number is, but like 1.5 million 63 children. 63 million or something by now? Yeah, at yeah. this point since Roe v. Wade, it's, it's astonishing. But it's like 1.5 million children a year are killed yeah. uh, in abortion, which is devastating. All right. But then also, also within that camp, uh, we, we uh, defend the right of the state to exercise the death penalty, which is defensible on Catholic terms. I mean, if you have any understanding of just war or any understanding of self-defense, then it follows from that. But we find ourselves sometimes arguing for death penalty as if we wanted to visit it upon all malefactors. And this causes us a kind of a discomfort when it comes to our pro-life position. So obviously there are distinctions to be made. To say that I'm pro-life doesn't mean that I think that all life should be prolonged until the absolute you know, last moment possible by all technological and medical means. But it does mean something and something, you know, something distinct. So we don't want to find ourselves in the position of defending something that's that's indefensible. So yeah, Father Bonaventure, what what thoughts does yeah. this occasion? Well, on that's your, on no, your that, end? that's a really that's a really good one because the death penalty, 
Um, I think honestly, people can, dis- can disagree about like what now today um, the death penalty should be. I mean, this most famously the latest latest change of the catechism. Um, but there are people within the conservative camps. This isn't. This is within. It's a nice kind of safe one for Dominicans, I suppose. Uh, within the conservative camp that can disagree about these things, and one way we naturally respond to this, I suppose, is to think of it as party platforms. That our platform is pro-life and pro-death penalty. Like it's allowed, the state can do this sort of thing, tradition, blah, blah, blah. And that's just, that's a given. It's a fixture sort of thing. And there, there's another party that has a different party platform and might be against the death penalty in all cases, this sort of thing. And they're the kind of progressive platform within, even within our, our conservatism. But as you can see, the, the political stuff starts to break down because you can be a conservative or a liberal politically and yet be against the death penalty or for it. Um, but the the interesting part is if this was a political discussion, we would have our platform positions and we would find our best arguments against the opponent sort of thing. But since it's not a political position, but rather church, we're, we're members of the church thinking together with each other, then when I engage with someone who thinks that the death penalty should be outlawed in all cases and has something akin to a moral uh, absolute prohibition, uh, it's like an, it's a moral evil to do the death penalty now, given the circumstances, um, I don't engage in that as a party platform to change, but actually as another Catholic thinker who's grappling with the morals and the development and the understanding of how the church relates to society and to life. And so I, I want to listen to that person and find out what, what, what makes them tick on this particular issue, not for curiosity's sake, but for charisma's sake, in the sense that is this, is, is this a position that actually I should start integrating in? And I don't think about that in the political stuff. We have like platform positions and we don't think, well, maybe I should kind of work in this. Pers-. It's a different kind of you're more of a defensive uh, in a defensive posture, whereas in the church, we should be in a more communicative, uh, interchanging or inter- uh, yeah, exchanging posture with each other. Not like not giving up our principles or going into them kind of like, well, this is what I think, my opinions, but in the sense of being the fact that this other person is not our enemy that perhaps there's something there um, that we haven't thought about before. And that's more apparent than, in, say, political discourse, where we are doing kind of platform strategy issues. So that's, that's an example of an explicitly political concern, uh, one that's discussed by politicians you know, on the floor of Congress. I'm thinking now of one that would be more of a religious concern. And so specifically, let's think about faith and works because okay so so i think what happens sometimes is when somebody gets to an opinion and defines it as a camp position and we are not of accord with that camp we form a camp by opposition to that camp all right that's very abstract but now let's be clear so after the protestant reformation there's a lot of debate regarding justification and certain protestant reformers push back against this emphasis on works or on merit. And so they say, we're justified by faith alone. And they take Romans 5 as their kind of proof text or their base of operations. And then Catholics, by response in the Counter-Reformation, say, no, we're justified by works. And they take whatever, James 2, as their proof text. I'm thinking about this recently because we've had a couple of readings uh, over the course of the past month, which, which, which formulate a vision for us which is more subtle, which is more complex. So I'm thinking here of like First John, for instance, where he says, you know, if I say I love God, but don't love my brother, I'm a liar, and the truth is not in me. And there it seems to be, you know, yes, we're justified by faith, but we're, we're justified by faith, which is breathing forth love. So it's not just faith, because faith can be dead, or faith can be unformed. Mm-hmm. Rather, we're justified by a living faith, or by a formed faith, 
which is also, you know, testifies to a charity which is present in the soul. And that charity works itself out in the material world in the form of, you know, alms deeds, almsgiving, or corporal works of mercy. And so sometimes when, when somebody else gets to a polarized position before we do, we feel like we have to adopt the other one and then kind of play out a caricature of our faith. So, you know, having talked about the more explicitly political issues, yeah. now touching on more religious issues, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's 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 easy to do um, because again we we think in polar you know in opposites and binaries you could say we don't have to be Levi Straussian about this but we do think in like we set up oppositions and binaries and um, so if someone makes a claim in this and they are not us then it must be the case that I am so I'm different I must be also different on this position and we must drive to the extreme on it. And the faith and works one is is a classic because it's about winning arguments, right? If you if this other person says this, and if you say the opposite and can show the opposite and have no contamination with that other person's position, then you can defeat them uh, soundly. You know, whereas if if you if they say faith alone, you say, well, yeah, faith alone, but kind of mixed in way, then you have a harder position to argue for because you have to like differentiate yours as well as taking on part of theirs. Where if you say no, you know, works, you're just totally wrong. Then it's it's both of you are just arguing from the one position. It's easier debating wise to to argue for that as opposed to trying to give the more complex position. But they are life's mysterious, you know. Don't take mm -hmm. it so serious. It's complicated. There's a little <laughs> rhyme for you I learned from a hermeneutics professor and uh, Dr. Richard Pratt down in uh, in uh, in Orlando. Um, so not to no, not to say like who knows, you know. But it, we do have a tendency. I mean, this happens with Dominicans too, right? We you know, we beat the drum for Thomism and stuff, and we get, we're intellectualists, you know, so we don't believe in the will. So we don't think the will is important, love's not important, that's what the Franciscans are for, but we're all intellect before the will. Well, yeah, but so what? The intellect, the will doesn't do anything? Knowing before loving, you got to know something before you love it. Right, so loving doesn't matter, right? No, that's, we can, but we easily, because we think in these binary terms, I think because, and that's what politics, politics is doing, but you should step in. We're, we're both and people. This is a Tresian kind of insight, right? Whenever, this is practically, Whenever you uh, you feel a binary forming, you know, reach out in love. Like, try to grab that sucker and see if you can mm. put it together, you know, because chances are there's a way, if it's, if it's a liturgical or a theological thing, it's probably true that you can grasp some of that, some of the insights from the opponent. There are some things that are ungraspable, that's for sure. You're not going to reach out with, you know, Arius and, or an historian and, you know, kind of traditional Christianity, but we can make an attempt because God, of course, our object is so much bigger than than our our reasoning that there's a chance that actually we might be able to integrate that and anyone who studies catholic history and theology knows it's a big i mean it's a it's a big subject so i think mm -hmm. the practical stuff of trying to reach trying to instead of opposing something and distancing when you hear a conflicting opinion trying to make an attempt i think thomas does this too this is what he how he kind of works in the summa mm. seldom affirm never deny always distinguish um, all right, so in this just last little bit, let's see mm -hmm. if we can formulate some takeaway points. I think one thing, I mean, reach out and love, I think is a, is, a, is a beautiful tagline. And if I were to write a description for this episode, that'd be a good one uh, with which to leave the listener. Another thing that I think is um, oftentimes we conceive, like you said, with this, this binary understanding, we conceive of our arguments or we conceive of our debates as us versus them. Uh, a wise Dominican uh, with whom we are in formation, Father Thomas Moore Garrett said, when you find yourself saying us versus them, it's often the case, or it's more often the case that it's us versus the evil one, right? To, to, to find the common ground, not in a kind of like naive way, 
say like everyone basically agrees there's just these small disagreements because there are real disagreements and we do have real enemies and we shouldn't be Pollyanna-ish about that. But to try to seek to redefine the conflict in terms of, okay, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. And Satan wants us all to go to hell, and he's going to try to sow seeds of discord. And when he does so, he will have won, provided only that he can keep us occupied and arguing about things of, you know, oftentimes secondary importance, or at the very least, arguing vehemently and vociferously in a way that gives no ground to the other party, because we would rather die than give that ground. So I think, I think trying to back off the us versus them is one way in which we can, um, yeah, we can advance in our mm -hmm. conversations. Uh, but yeah, as for your part, what are other other yeah, takeaway points? Yeah, the other thing I think is, um, and this is more a speculative point, I, I think, is that in politics, um, in liberal democracies as we live in, we are either the highest authority individually, like me and Father Gregory, or share, we're co-highest authorities. So we have presidents and all of this, but as, as we often want to say, they work for us. The reason why they're there is because we voted them in or attempted to. But we're all on the same level. President's going to become another citizen like us. Um, and at the moment, they are just exercising the will of the people, uh, ideally. That's what they're supposed to be doing. So that we're all at least either in charge ourselves or we're on the same level with our other citizens. No citizen is better than any other citizen in a liberal democracy. Let's just bracket whether that's a good idea or not. In the church, that's not the case. We're not all. We have, there are hierarchies. And fundamentally, we're not the highest point or even the co-highest point. We're all under Christ and his headship and then flowing down from that. And so immediately that means that actually we have a higher appeal and we live underneath someone else, at least one other person, but three, um, at least some other structure. So that even though I might be equal to you in some rank, we're all subordinate. And that is a fundamental difference. I think it's a reminder that that we have, both of us can appeal to higher authorities, whereas in our political discourse, I really am. I'm only pragmatically not the highest authority because I'm not the president at the moment, but I could be. And that's a, you know, well, I, modal lot, modal's tough. Modal distinctions are tough. It's, we won't get into that. <laughs> and maybe, maybe for my, my last thought, um, an homage to Father Timothy Danaher is one of the more independent thinkers of our generation with whom we were again in formation. And uh, yeah, when these tropes would arise in the context of debates, whatever it was that we were discussing, I was impressed often by his capacity to think apart from the dialectic, right? So just to return to principles and, and honestly, to, to like a live a real gospel mentality of, of repentance, of metanoia, to put on the mind of Christ and to submit your mind to that of Christ and to be open to the astonishing revelation that, yeah, that sometimes it means, yeah, it means separating a bit from um, the... Yeah, separating a bit from the conflict as it's presently defined to infuse into that conflict new principles, new arguments, uh, a new kind of, what would the word be, a new acknowledgement or recognition of the way in which Christ is present in it. So that's, I, I suppose that's my, that's my last thought. You have a, uh, a final thought? No, I was just, I was thinking, sing a new song. But then I thought, <laughs> that's horrible. Just hate that. <laughs> Nothing worse. Nothing worse. Yeah. That's the evil one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, sing a new song unto the Lord. That's the worst. Quote, Father Bonaventure Chapman. <laughs> uh, so, th thanks so much for having joined us on this episode of God's Planning. Please do like, share, and subscribe. Uh, do whatever you can to promote the episode so that others who may benefit from it will, uh, will have it come across whatever feed they check. Um, we have retreats coming up this summer. 
Uh, so we have uh, three retreats, one for all comers, one for young adults, and then a young men's wilderness retreat. Those are in July and in August, and you can check godsplaining.org for more information on those. Also, uh, a special thanks to all those who support us on Patreon, who make the work of the podcast, improvements to the podcast, you know, all of the tech stuff that goes into the podcast, and then the retreats themselves that make all that possible. So we're very grateful. Uh, if you haven't yet uh, considered making a donation to the podcast, uh, we warmly encourage you to do so. But again, your prayers are, yeah, the, your prayers are the very most important thing that you can contribute, and we're super, super grateful for those. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, our prayers are for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.